Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... It can be one and the same, but it's not the same thing. Worship can be done without words. You can worship God with your life. Romans 12, it says that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable act of worship. And so you can worship God by being obedient. When you deny your flesh, it's an act of worship. When you don't do what your flesh wants to do, it's an act of worship. When you do what your flesh doesn't want to do to glorify God, it's an act of worship. And you can do all that with your mouth shut, but you cannot praise God with your mouth shut. And God calls for praise all through the Bible. Have you ever considered the difference between worshiping and praising God? Today, Pastor Bill will explore the meaning of praise and worship and unpack the powerful benefits that come with each. Scripture commands us to do both because our God is worthy. Perhaps there seems to be little in your life worth praising Him for. We can always look to the cross and Jesus' sacrifice, which gave all of us the opportunity to know Him personally and be freed from eternity without Him. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, as he continues his message, Praise the Lord. Anybody that's never worshiped God falling, just lay on your, sometime maybe at home or somewhere, you know, just lay down on your face. It's just putting yourself all the way down. We see it many times in scripture. Uh, we can pray in any posture we want. It's a healthy thing sometimes to put our bodies where our hearts need to be and just prostrate ourselves, humble ourselves. They fall down um, before the Lord, it says, and they fell down and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen and hallelujah. Two things. Um, one, I just want to point out that the, the people in heaven, the angels in heaven, they're all, they're all seeing it the same way. It doesn't say most of the people did this. Everybody did. Everybody in heaven felt the same way. Everybody, when they saw the one that's seated on the throne, everybody is having the same response. Everybody is just hit the deck. And let's worship the Lord. So when the Bible says, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? I got to get these glimpses of heaven and say, God, put this in my heart on earth. Let me love you like this. Let me understand. What, what was it that they understood about you that they would worship you so passionately? They would just fall on the floor. No thought for themselves. They're just, God, I'm just undone before you. Well, each time they do it, they say something, right? So this time... The, the 24 elders, the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne. They said, amen, which means so be it. Amen means so be it. I agree. And then hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So be it. Praise the Lord. So they're, they're looking back at what we just praised God for. And they're saying, yes, so be it. Amen. And praise the Lord. Now, amen is something that is another one of those churchy words that people just say all the time. If you pray with somebody. And they pray a prayer that you don't agree with. Should you say amen? No, because no, you don't agree. Amen means so be it. I agree. I'll stamp that. Yes. Um, if somebody's preaching and they say something you don't agree with, should you amen that? No. Right. I've actually been somewhere where the preacher said something that was wrong and he kept begging for amens. And it was like, no, I don't, I don't agree. You know, what's the opposite of amen? So I can say that. No, man. You know, so I didn't do that. But uh, that's a, uh, if, if I had been rude, I would have done that. But, you know, you just don't. Amen means so be it. I agree and hallelujah. And so here's something else I love. Like, there's, look at the unity in heaven. Everybody sees it the same way. There's different kinds of people. We'll see that over and over again. Different tribes, tribes and tongues. But everybody in heaven, we're seeing the same thing. 
eyes on Jesus. There's a sweet unity. There's a humility to the worship. And there's a passion to the worship and the praise that goes to the Lord. And so that phrase again, though, praise the Lord. Everybody is everybody in heaven is, is exhorting and saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord with passion and with exuberance. The most repeated command in your whole Bible is the one that we're reading today. Praise the Lord. There's nothing commanded more times than that phrase right there. Now, there are things that God says are the greatest commands. But the most common command, the, the, the command that's said most frequently throughout the Bible is a command to praise the Lord. And interestingly, with the Lord, it's one of the things that God wants, right? God owns a cattle on a thousand hill, all the silver and all the gold. Everything on the earth is his. But you know what he wants? In John 4, he says that the time is coming when those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And it says, for the father is seeking such to worship him. And there's a distinction, right? Because some people look at worship and praise as the same thing. It can be one and the same, but it's not the same thing. Worship can be done without words. You can worship God with your life. Romans 12, it says that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable act of worship. And so you can worship God by being obedient. When you deny your flesh, it's an act of worship. When you don't do what your flesh wants to do, it's an act of worship. When you do what your flesh doesn't want to do to glorify God, it's an act of worship. And you can do all that with your mouth shut, but you cannot praise God with your mouth shut. And God calls for praise all through the Bible. What's the biggest book in the Bible? Psalms. It's a book of what? It's a whole book of praise songs. A whole book. Now, God only put here, everything that's ever happened is not here. God said, I'm going to put in here what I want you to know. The biggest book in the book is a book about praise. All the whole book is songs and hymns and, you know, and it says to music and everything else. That's the biggest book. Now, the biggest book could have been about prayer. It could have been about giving. It could have been about you name it. It's about praise. And I believe that there's a reason for that. And every glimpse you get into heaven, what are people doing every time? Every time you get a glimpse into heaven, that's the cross the board, get a glimpse into heaven and people are praising. Anytime on earth, people really caught wind of who God was. They couldn't, rest, they couldn't restrain it. Right? When they, got, when they got a glimpse of who he really was, they would be humbled and they would praise him. They would honor him and they would give it up verbally to the Lord. And so, um, I believe that this is something God desires. It's something that um, he wants. I believe that God likes it to music. Y'all know that God invented music? That was his idea. So that the first music ever invented was invented in the heavenly realm to worship the Lord. That is the original music ever was for, for the worship and the glory of God. It's been perverted. There's some really wicked music down here these days. But with music in its original form, it was used to worship the Lord. That's what it was for. And so throughout the word, God says like that. He calls people to praise him he calls us to worship he calls us to do it with song there's commands in the songs worship me with with your mouth with your tremble with the cymbals with your voice with the stringed instruments with the flutes with the harp with the lyre God's like give it up whatever you got whatever instrument you can play bring that and worship me with that thing and so here again we get a glimpse in the heavens and they're worshiping God and it's emphatic and they mean it and they've humbled themselves before him. And again, I do believe it's important that we tap into that on earth and that we not be we not easily give that up. I, I, I'm, a, I'm of the persuasion that this is not something I could in, in the same way that if someone told me not to preach from the Bible or not to speak in the name of Jesus, I could not concede 
This is one of those things that someone said, Bill, don't praise. I would not concede to do that. I feel like whatever consequence would come for praise and I would I would praise and, and endure whatever that would be. And so that's my that's my conviction. So um, and so moving on, it says um, uh, says, amen. Hallelujah. Verse five says, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Everybody was already praising. But now there's a voice from heaven that comes. This is the angel speaking. And he says, praise our God. I want you to note that. Whose God is it? Our, our God. I want you to note the, the unity. The, what is the thing that unifies heaven? Our God. That's how we're going to have unity on earth. Our God. And we can come into contact with people that if we have nothing else in common except our God, there can be unity. This should be a reprieve. People should come out of the funk of the world, whatever it is, if it's racism out there, if it's anger, if it's jealousy, if it's mad, whatever the madness is, they should come here and there should be this sweet unity about a people that are saying, man, we're all looking to Jesus together. And there should be something here that people are saying, I don't feel this out there. I have my own experiences out there. Out there, I'm getting whooped on. Out there, I got this happening. I go to work and this is taking place. But when I come into the house of God, it's something heavenly about this. That my prayer is that we would we I believe we've been that as a church. We've had a sweet, we have a sweet, sweet, sweet group of folks. And my prayer is as, as we grow and as we go forward, that God will continue to grow us like that, that people would come in here and just experience this would just be a little bit of heaven on earth when we gather together. I really believe that that's what it should be. And as we get these glimpses into heaven, and I'm looking at man, there's unity, but there's all kinds of it's, it's not just human beings, there's humans and angels. They're on the same page. You know, like I'm going to have some angel homies in heaven and we still feel the same way. We all love the Lord and sing songs. I get to sing with angels one day. Um, that All of that is amazing to me. And so it stirs my heart up, though, for how much we need to press for this here. Right. And we need to live this way, behave this way, um, that I'm not looking to divide with believers about anything um, because we got there's more that unites us. The most important things are the things that bring us together, the things about Jesus. And if I got to talk to a believer and I know we disagree on 10 things, I need to, I need to make my way to the things that we agree on. This is, let's just talk about Jesus then. So we're going to disagree that the, the, the Lakers is the best team. And so we're going to disagree on that. Well, let's just, let's just talk Jesus so we can be united. Amen. So moving on, it says, uh, so again, they said, praise the Lord, all you his servants, both small and great, as all those who fear him. Verse six now. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying, Alleluia. And so John is hearing and he says, man, after the after this exhortation to praise the Lord, all the servants, all those who fear him, small and great. John says, man, I heard, as, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. This is loud. Um, the sound of many waters. That's loud. The sound of mighty thunderings. Bombs were going off. Dynamites were going. It's like he says, man, it was loud and you could hear it all over. And this is what they were saying. Hallelujah. And it's again, an exclamation point. They were just out loud. So, again, there is a place for just exuberant, passionate, loud, even worship as they're worshiping and praising the Lord. And this is what they praise God for in this one. They said, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And I, I just want to break down that phrase for the Lord. God, omnipotent, reigns. This is why they're worshiping here. First of all, the Lord. 
They're acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord. That means that he's the master. Uh, that word Lord is not just a, it's another one of those churchy things that we just say it all the time. Oh, the Lord, the Lord. Well, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And what? And don't do what I tell you to do. Lord means that he's the master. Means I submit to him. Means that God, well, I do what you tell me to do. And so they're worshiping him out loud. They're saying for the Lord. And then they say, God, he's God. There's none like him. There's his deity. The Lord God omnipotent. That word omnipotent means this. It means that God is absolutely ruling all things. He's absolutely sovereign over everything. He's the ruler of all. He's the one that he holds the sway over everything. When it says that God is omnipotent, he's all powerful. There's nothing that he's not doesn't have power over. And so they're worshiping him here because the Lord God omnipotent reigns and he reigns. Then he reigns now. Right now, it's, it's in a limited sense. And that, you know, Satan is the prince and power of the air. But here they're saying, God, we're worshiping you because you're the Lord. God, you're omnipotent. You have all power and you reign over everything. You reign supreme. And so we're we're looking for that. We're looking forward to the day when we would sing this with them. But today I know this is true. I know he is the Lord God. He's omnipotent and he reigns right now. He reigns in our hearts. He reigns in this world. He will ultimately have things his way. And they're worshiping him for that. And I, again, I think it's important as believers that, you know, I, I get bummed out when I hear believers living like and thinking like the people that are in charge of the world are in charge of everything. Whether it be the president or the governor or the this or the that. It's, as believers, I got to know that God is sovereign over all of this. Amen. And if you search back through history, God was sovereign and ruled and reigned over over other periods in history where there were good leaders and bad leaders. He was always sovereign over it all. Always God's will was ultimately being done on the earth. And so God said, look, don't look to those guys as though all the power is there when you know me. I can't sound like my non-believing neighbor. Do you believe this? Man, yeah, I, I, man, I don't put nothing past the people in this world. I absolutely can believe it. But the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Amen. I'm looking way above everybody's head to the Lord. So I don't got to stumble over people and their decisions and what they do. I'm looking to the Lord. It'll save you. It'll save you from being angry at stuff that you should be praying for. It'll save you from being afraid when you should be bold that, you know, oh, they said, oh, they're doing, oh, they're just like, God, they, they are saying and doing, but you're over at all of it. And so I'm more concerned with what God is saying and doing than anybody else. Amen. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. And so I want to join in the course with them and, and, and praise God for that verse. Verse seven. Now we move to the marriage of the lamb. And so verse seven says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And so we get this imagery of a marriage and I want to explain this. The Bible throughout uses the imagery of the church and our relationship to Jesus like a marriage. Amen. So the Bible says that the, the husband and the wife relationship is similar to Christ's relationship with the church. And in Ephesians 5, maybe the most extensive passage on marriage in Scripture is Ephesians 5 verses 22 to 33. It's interesting because Paul teaches to the husband and the wife. He gives them some of their roles in marriage. He tells the wife, I'm summarizing because it's a lot there, right? He tells the wife three things. He says to wives, so if you're married, you should hear this. Uh, if you're going to be married, you should hear this. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's a big deal, right? I mean, 
That means to a single woman, when you're looking at a guy that you might be with, it's like, as to the Lord? I mean, he better be a good leader. He better have a track record of hearing from God. Um, you know, but it says, why? Submit to your own husband's ask to the Lord. Then it says, be subject to your husband. And lastly, he says, is to respect your husband. Those are the three things he gives to the wife in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. But then to the husbands, he says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a large pill, right? Because how did Christ love the church? Period. He loved the church, period. He loves the church on a good day, on a bad day. Amen. He loves the church when we do right, when we do wrong. So God said, love your wife, period. No matter what. No matter how she's behaving, what she, just like I love you. Love her like that, period. Big order. Now, he could have stopped right there. It had been unfair already. But he said, husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Gave himself for it. Then it says to wash her with the washing of the water of the word. Like Christ washes the church. He says, that, husbands, you need to nurture your wife. You want to wash her with the water of the word. We want to be, we want to be mindful of our wives' spiritual well-being and what they're being fed and, and being ministered to and poured into. Husbands, do that, it says. Then it says, husbands, love your wife like you love yourself. The Bible never tells you to love yourself. It always assumes that you already do. So the Bible says, husband, the way you love you, you know, you think about you all the time and you do stuff, do that for her. Love her like you love you, right? And then as he summarizes the whole thing up in uh, verse 32, he snuck this in. He says, now I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, it's not that all that information was still true for the married couples, but he says, hey, hey, hey. I'm, I'm also speaking concerning Christ and the church. So we are the bride. I used to struggle with the idea of being the bride of Christ because I'm a man and I don't want to be a bride. I want to be a groom. But when I realized that the, the alternative is that I get to go to hell, uh, I'm, I got my bride dress on. I'm ready to rock. So um, we're, we are the bride. He is the groomsman. I'm cool with the arrangement. That's how he did it. Um, we're betrothed to Christ. So there, here's a little bit about Jewish marriage ceremony because the relation we have with Christ, and he wanted to speak about here, it, it really relates to the, the Jewish wedding ceremony. In the Jewish wedding, a man would be, uh, we get engaged in our culture, right? But engagement is weaker than betrothal. In engagement, a guy could buy a ring, ask a girl to marry him. She says yes. He gives her a ring. She posts pictures saying, I say yes. And, you know, they could, they could break up next month and it'd be nothing, right? A betrothal is, it's a legal binding Betrothal is marriage without consummation. It's, 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 a, it's a guarantee. I'm marrying you. If you get with someone else, you, you're committing adultery. You got to get a divorce from a betrothal. And so the husband would be betrothed to his wife. She would, you know, they're going to get married. He leaves and he goes to his father's home and he builds a place for them to live on, on his father's property. That was typically what happened. When he was done building it, he would go, they would go back and get his wife. Now, she didn't get notified. It wasn't like she was there with all her girls getting pampered and getting her hair did and getting all her stuff together. He was going to show. She just needed to be ready. You need to be beautiful every day because he's going to show up one day. I mean, she might want to send some spies down to see how the work is coming along at his dad's house or something. But that whenever he showed up, you know, thank God they didn't have wedding pictures. Right. But um, they get picked up and, and, and there was going to be the wedding day. So they would have the ceremony. Um, they had the consummation of the marriage. And then the whole community had a large, they, I mean, they partied for weddings. They turned up uh, and they feasted and they ate and everything else. And it was a supper. It was a, it was a feast. It was, it was a, a celebratory thing. And so all that in mind, now look at what it says here about the lamb. It says that rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. 
um, that we're we're looking forward to the time where we're going to finally be with Jesus. And this is going to happen after the tribulation period. We're going to be with him and there'll be a marriage, the marriage supper of the lamb that we're going to have. The, the bride has made herself ready. Verse eight and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So we're, we're now prepared. The church is prepared to be with the Lord. And we're arrayed in this fine linen, clean and bright. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I thought this is so cool that as believers, we don't get judged for our sins, but we do get the opportunity. We get judged for our works. We go to the Bema seat and some of the things that we do are rewardable. Other things will be burned up like wood, hand, stubble. So if you did good things with bad motives, they're just going to go poof. They won't last. They won't make it. But the things you did for the Lord that were right hearted, right motive, God rewards you for eternity. And so the righteous acts of the saints will be there with us. Verse nine. Then he said to me, right. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. Why? Because everybody's not called to this. Everybody's not going to be in heaven. Everybody's not going to be the bride of Christ. Everybody just like everybody's not a child of God. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And I, just, I mean, to me, it's exciting to think about a future day where we're going to we're gonna not only be with the Lord and worship, but we're going to feast with the Lord and enjoy him. Like heaven is not going to be sitting around on clouds with hearts singing Kumbaya and getting bored. We got stuff to do in the next room. After this, you know, there's going to be a thousand years when we rule and reign with Christ. Like we're going to have jobs. And what you do there has something to do with how you live now. You should know that. Right. How we serve here will impact what we do there. We will not be just chilling. We will have something to do. And so verse nine, it says, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And then verse 10, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy John gets caught up in his emotions or something and he falls down before this angel to get ready to worship him. And the angel says, no, 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 don't do that. He says, see that you do not do that. I am. I'm your fellow servant. And I want you to know, because we were I mean, I know there's some churches that worship angels, but we're not supposed to worship angels. Right. This angel stops him. Don't do that. We know this, that true servants of God are not going to receive worship. And they're going to deflect that they know it belongs to the Lord. Um, that's going to be pastors, worship leaders, Christian servants. They're not going to eat up the glory. Any real servant of the Lord is going to just keep pointing you to the Lord. Any man or woman that serves and, and they, they are, they're taking all the glory and they, they want all the attention and all the focus on them. You should just be weary of people like that. True spiritual leaders lead people to the Lord. That's, that's what a good spiritual leader does. Um, they lead you to God. They'll direct you to him. Um, and so... That's what this angel does to John. He says, don't see that you don't do that. I'm your fellow servant, one of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. And then he said, look, worship God. Last thing and we're closing. He says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And this is basically saying this. The true purpose of prophecy is to bear testimony to the person and work of Jesus. And so we're in a prophetic book. He says, look, this is this is what it's all about. It should all point to Jesus. And so, again, the testimony of Jesus, it is the spirit of prophecy. And so as we close this up today, I just want to exhort us, remind us that we, we take from what we're glimpsing in heaven and seeing and that we would like the people in heaven. We would praise the Lord. Amen. 
He's worthy of it. He deserves it. Um, we want to surrender that to him. And um, I want to continue to grow. And I want to I want to have a heavenly mind concerning this. We know there are many ways that you can spend your day, but we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today here on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Revelation. There are a variety of things addressed in this book. There are letters written to churches, lots of imagery and prophecy, and the best part, a coming king who will reign supreme. Don't you just love a good story where good overcomes evil? Jesus is the ultimate in this, bringing good and restoring all that's broken and lost. What a wonderful Savior. How do you engage with the book of Revelation? Is it scary to you? Is it confusing? Is it inspiring? We'd like to help you through what you're thinking as you're listening to these messages. Our number is 310-245-4811. Feel free to give us a call. We'd love to connect with you. Just in case you missed it, that number is 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area, you can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as God continues to reveal His plan for the world and for us. On behalf of Pastor Bill and the rest of the production team, thanks for being a part of A Transforming Word.